0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Like India said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be uh, visiting with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Good to have you here with, this, with, with us this morning. Also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to give you a brief update on our building situation. If you're new with us, you might not know that we have made plans to purchase this building. We've been renting this building for about eight years, and at the latter part of last year, the Lord gave us this audacious dream to pursue this place. Uh, We made an offer, and they accepted our offer to purchase this place, so we set down a path to uh, purchase this place with dreams of remodeling it. And we started our uh, giving campaign back in April, I believe the first of April, which was Easter uh, Sunday morning. And you guys have begun to give uh, toward this vision. And over the last couple of months, there's been forward motion, there been setbacks, but I am pleased to tell you that we have an official close date, Friday, this upcoming Friday at 3 p.m. We close on this building and we actually purchase it. (laughs) And so you might know that, I've said this over a couple of weeks, that what we've been trying to raise is $200,000, 175000 of that is um, for the, uh, the closing costs. That's what we have to bring to the table in order to uh, purchase this building. And so I have some really good news this morning. Do you want to know how much we've raised so, so far? Go ahead and put the next slide up. This is how much we've raised so far, right? $175,000 over $175,000. And so this is, this is no small thing. I'm absolutely blown away. We, we named this uh, giving campaign, this building campaign, more than we can imagine, right? We felt like if it's something that we can do within our own power and our own strength, then it's not worth uh, uh, bothering God with it, right? Uh, but this is truly remarkable. and I don't want you to underestimate how significant it is that a church our size could raise $175,000 in addition to what you're already, uh, already giving and sowing into this ministry. This is absolutely remarkable. The Lord has told us that he was going to do this through us and with the help of some of our friends and over the last several months. We've raised this in five months, folks, five months. Uh, and that's, that's, that's God's doing. That's God's doing. <laughs> And you probably get tired of me saying thank you, but I know it's your sacrifice and your obedience to God that helps put us in this fantastic position. Our goal before we close is $200,000, so there's still another 24000 that we need to raise or so, but if God has brought us this far, what's $24,000 in five days, right? <laughs> Uh, and so the goal, uh, one of the one of the uh, conditions of our loan is that we have to put a brand new roof on the building, like right away, and so that's thirty five thousand dollars, like that we have to pay right away. And so we're part of the two hundred thousand is that we're raising a good portion of that, so we only have to put a small amount of our cash reserves because we want to go into the ownership with as much of our cash reserves intact, because we have new bills that we've never had before, and so we believe in God for an additional. 24,000 or so. And so would you just join with me in praying uh, that over the next few days, the Lord uh, would help us to meet that need. And so Father, I just thank you. I just say thank you. I'm just giddy. You probably can't tell it, but I'm just giddy right now when I think about this thing you told us to do, thing you told us to lean into, and we have been able to see you be faithful and do this through us. And so, Father, we ask that you would remind us that we live and serve and worship under an open heaven. We serve a generous God, a good, good Father, perfect in all of his ways, who wants to resource us with everything that we need in order to fulfill the purpose that he set before us. And so, Father, we ask that as we go forth, we would just be receiving all sorts of favor and all sorts of blessing, all sorts of financial resource from every corner this week, as we go to the closing table. Father, every need that is before us, you will meet. And so we believe it, we receive it, we speak on it, and we thank you in advance for all you're going to do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, the fall, maybe it fall's not officially here. I'm not sure exactly when fall starts, but uh, the crispy temperatures outside let us know that fall is at least near. And fall is my kind of season, partly because I, I, this is my kind of weather, right? I don't like being hot. I'm a bigger guy, and so I don't like sweating. I sweat a lot, and I like this cool, like, I call this jacket weather, right? And so I enjoy this weather, but I particularly like the fall because as a person with four kids, fall reminds us that we can return to some sense of rhythm to life, right? we're hanging out. We don't have any place to go. Things are just so, you know, chaotic over the summer. And fall reminds us that kids are back to school. Some other things fall into place. And for me, I don't know about you, there's just a more workable rhythm to life in the fall. And so as a pastor and as a preacher, we've learned to preach and to stack our series uh, to go with the natural rhythms of our life. We used to just sort of fight against those rhythms, but as we get older and wiser and more experienced, we sort of fall into those natural rhythms and try to pair our preaching and teaching with the natural rhythms of our life, my life, and your life. And so at the fall, there's a sense of everybody returning to a sense of rhythm, people buckling down, maybe the summer was a little undisciplined, uh, maybe it was a little wild and unnatural for you, and something happens in the fall where you seek to press into a more natural rhythm rhythm. Of life. And so typically around this time in the fall, we engage a a season of fasting and praying. We focus our attention through the preaching at least on what God might be trying to reorient our hearts toward as we settle down and we get back into a brand new rhythm. So I have the privilege this morning of beginning our brand new fall series that I'm simply calling Fit for Life. Fit for Life. Uh, the older I get, the more I just want to be whole. Any of you use that expression? And when I say whole, I just, I don't need a lot of money. I don't need a big, I don't need a big house. I don't need fancy cars. I just want to be whole. And when I say whole, I mean nothing broken and nothing missing, Right? I just want to be whole and I want God to be involved in every measurable area of my life. And when I say wholeness, a part of what I mean when I say I want to be whole is, is in a sense, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. You say ready and prepared for, what? for whatever God has for me. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to be able to move at a moment's notice and do what God has set before me. I think that's one of the distinguishing marks of being a whole person, as particularly as it relates. To a person of faith. And so, particularly wanting to be whole and wanting to be ready, and I'm sure many of you would echo that sentiment, there's this whole concept of fitness that is really important to us if you have eyes to see it. Now, if you think of fitness in a classic sense, when I say fitness, you automatically think of lifting weights, running, and physical exercise. But for the purposes of this series, and the weeks to come. I want to think about fitness in a broader, more general sense, and I want to use this definition for fitness. Fitness is the quality of being suitable uh, to fulfill a particular role or task. The quality of being suitable to fulfill a particular role or task. And when you hear suitable, think ready. Think able. Uh, The guy that runs uh, our CrossFit gym is regularly just sort of randomly running races that he didn't particularly train for. And what he says often is, I'm training every day so that I'm just ready if I want to run a 5K. I'm ready if I want to do a 10K. I'm ready if I want to do a marathon or half marathon or a Tough Mudder or a Spartan race. I'm, I'm at this constant state of fitness or constant state of readiness because I want to be ready to do whatever I need to do or ready to do whatever i need to do if you're trying to wrap your mind about what i mean when i say fitness think readiness suitable for a particular role or task and here's the sad reality most of us are operating at a level that is just a fraction of what god has intended for us you know why because in meaningful areas and aspects of our life, we're simply unfit. We're simply out of shape. We're out of shape spiritually. We're out of shape physically, which is a deeply spiritual, important part of our life. We'll explore that more in the weeks to come. We're out of shape emotionally and spiritually and relationally. We're unfit to do what God is set before us. And for that reason, many of us are operating at just a fraction of what God has assigned our natural capacity because we lack a measure of fitness. And so this series is designed to deal with the important aspects of our life that God is calling us both individually and corporately as a church to press into deeper measures of fitness or readiness. We want to be fit for life. And so I want to begin this series this morning by talking about an important component of fitness in a life sense, and that is purpose. Purpose. Years ago, I realized that I was talking about everything except purpose. And when I really started to think about purpose and really started to read up on it and really started to listen widely as it relates to purpose, I just began to discover that purpose is like the absolute cornerstone of life. In other words, if we don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it or what we're up to, we're just sort of floundering and we're just sort of shadowboxing, we're just sort of going along with emotions. But purpose anchors us It aims our lives at a particular point, and I want to talk about that as it relates to being fit for life. If you sit down with any trainer, uh, counselor, financial planner, life coach, nutritionist, and you try to get things in order, most of us, our instinct is sort of rattle off what we want to do, right? I want to go on a diet. I want to work out more. I want to spend less. I want to save more. But any trainer, any counselor, any coach, any nutritionist worth their salt will ask you why. Like, what's your purpose? What's your end goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Because if we can just get busy doing stuff, you'll start it and you'll burn out. You'll start it and you'll get tired. But if we ask why, what's the purpose? Like, what are you aiming at? then we can assign uh, some purpose to those pursuits. And typically, typically, not always, it tends to last a little bit longer, right? And so at the outset of this series, Fit for Life, I want to talk this morning about purpose. I want to anchor our pursuits, our pursuit of fitness, our pursuit of wholeness, our pursuit of readiness. I want to anchor it in our God-given purpose so that it's lasting, right? So that it lasts for more than a week, two weeks, 21 days, just a couple of months, so that it is enduring. I'm calling this message this morning simply fit for purpose or fit for a purpose. Would you meet me this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and have your Bibles with you? Hopefully you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, We're going to start at verse 19. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible, feel free to use the Bibles that are on the edges of the rows. Um, They are there specifically for you to use in service. Also, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can feel free to take that Bible home with, with, excuse me, as a gift from us. Um, Feel free also to read along on your phones or your tablets. um, And we'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens fit for purpose First Corinthians chapter 9, while you find that, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all you've blessed us with. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for these opportunities that you've set before us. Father, we, we, don't, we don't deserve this. This is your goodness we're experiencing. And so, Father, we want to respond to your goodness and your faithfulness by being faithful to the purpose that you've given us to walk out. Father, we understand that we need to be ready. We need to be fit. Many of us lack wisdom in that area. And so today, Father, we ask that you would teach us. Father, we humble ourselves and we sit at your feet and we want to learn from you today. So, Father, I ask that you would put power on these words that you've given me to share this morning, that you would move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking or writing. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And we pick up at verse 19. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. Verse 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. There's that word purpose. I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body. Another version says, I beat my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, this is a very rich text. And some of you, as I begin to read it, you, thought, well, what does this have to do with purpose? But let me just say, this is a very rich text. There's plenty here, and I hope I have time enough to unpack it all. But this is a timely word for me. Some of you, when you come up after the message, you say, hey, thanks for that message. That was a good word. It really spoke to me. I just say, hey, you just had an opportunity to listen in as I preach to me. Like, I, this text speaks to me in a way uh, that is challenging, that is confrontational. Uh, that is also encouraging. This is something that I'm preaching to me today. And so if you happen to get something out of it, fantastic, right? But I want you to know that we're on the same side of the table today. Like I'm ministering to myself. This text like arrested me uh, this morning because God has been asking me lately, are you ready for the things that you've been praying for? And we learn how to pray. We realize that we're living and serving and loving under an open heaven. We serve a generous God who's eager to pour out blessings. And so we're always asking for the next, the bigger, the better, the next, which is fantastic. But God has been asking me lately, son, are you ready for the things that you're asking for? Put it a different way. Are you fit for that next level uh, that you're seeking to press into? To put the question a different way, the Lord might be asking me, as he's asking you, can I trust you with what you're asking me for? And you say, Lord, but you promised this to me. This is the natural next step. He said, I didn't didn't ask you anything about that. I asked you, can I trust you? Are you ready for what's next? So in the shadow of that question, we engage this text. In the shadow of that question, this text wrestles with me as I wrestle with it. It's a powerful text because Paul teaches us with his own life how purpose and fitness go together, how purpose and the pursuit of fitness or readiness work together. And I think that there are three big lessons that I want to pull out of this today, three big points. There are more, but I only have time for three as we pursue a measure of fitness or readiness, particularly for our purpose. And the first thing that Paul shows us with this text is that we are to start, if we want to be fit uh, for a purpose, if we want to be fit for this life, we have to start with willful obedience. We have to start with willful obedience. Willful obedience isn't like a fun topic to talk about. Because God generally does not call us to small, convenient things, right? If you've walked with Jesus for more than a week, you've discovered that typically what he's calling us to is something that will stretch us. Something that would overturn the hammock that we love to swing and sip lemonade in the breeze. Usually what God is calling us to is something uncomfortable. Typically it's controversial. It cuts against the grain of our cultural comforts And this is why this willful obedience is necessary. Paul says in verse 19, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave. Paul is living in a context where there is like slavery. Slavery is a natural reality in this particular context. People are owned. people. Uh, Typically, they own them as indentured servants or people who are working off a debt, and so therefore they're a slave. Paul says, make no mistake, I am a free man. I'm a powerful, educated man, but for the sake of Christ, I have become a slave. But for the sake of Christ and his plan and his purpose for me, I will be willfully obedient and do whatever that obedience calls for so that I could be right you know, in step with God's plan and his purpose for me. Paul says, I'm making a choice here. Some of you have discovered that you have a choice. I believe others of us, like, you know, our calling, you know, if we say no, if we run, it'll be harder on some of us than others because of what we've been called to. But generally speaking, we all have a choice whether or not to engage or to press toward what God has set before us. And Paul is just calling that out. I have chosen to walk this path. I have chosen to lay down my rights as a free man with agency and power to choose. I have chosen to do what? Make myself a slave. And what particular way has Paul decided to make himself a slave? He says here, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Now this slave terminology is something that's really common in Scripture. It's especially uh, common in Pauline literature or the letters that Paul has written. And he uses this word because even today this word slave has a certain, like it has some emotional baggage to it, particularly here in the West. Like we conjure up images of the slave trade, of uh, people being in chains, hundreds of years of slavery. Like we, we don't really like to use that expression right? I know I don't as a black man in the United States. I don't typically like to refer myself to a slave in any context, but it's helpful to understand what Paul is getting at. Paul is saying, I have subjected myself to people, all people, so that I might be in step with what God has for me. He frames this as something that he's decided to do willingly chose to lay down his freedoms and liberties to do a much harder thing, and that is to be a slave to other people. And so I think that some of us might be really familiar with Paul's life and Paul's mission and Paul's purpose, but others of you might not. And so I think it's helpful for us to unpack in a minute just what Paul's purpose was, Right? Uh, but when we understand that we must start this journey toward fitness, particularly with purpose in mind, the second step is that we should start with the end in mind, right? We've already begun with obedience. And I've said many, many times that obedience is simply, Lord, I write a blank check of my life to you. You fill in the amount. Yeah. Right. That sounds good on paper. That sounds good as it rolls off the mouth of a preacher, but it's super hard to live out. Because some of us, we need details first. Okay, Lord, tell me how long I'm going to have to be over there. Tell me who's going to be over there. Tell me how, you know, how much it's going to cost me. Am I still going to, you know, enjoy the same level of uh, living? Give me some details before I say Yes. If you've walked with Jesus any length of time, you know he just typically doesn't give out those types of details. Because if your yes is contingent upon the details, uh, if your yes is contingent upon pleasurable circumstances, that's not what the Bible calls obedience. Right? right. right? And so, it starts with willful obedience, but if we're going to pursue fitness, if we're going to walk this out, we have to start with the end in mind. And when I say end, that's just another word, purpose, destination, like what am I up to? Because my purpose or my end should inform the means. In other words, where I'm headed should inform the steps that I take along the way. And so Paul, it was helpful and necessary for him to understand, it's so helpful for us to understand as we look at the life of Paul, what was Paul's purpose? What was his life's mission? What he was called to do? And so we look at scripture, we get little pieces and little snapshots of Paul's biography. And it doesn't take us long to read in the New Testament that Paul was kind of a rascal, right? He was kind of a jerk. He wasn't originally a champion of the faith. In fact, he was legally given permission and means to stamp out the work of Christ, to stamp out the cause of the, the gospel as it spread uh, throughout the region. And so Paul was kind of a rascal. And I like that God probably looked down at Paul and says, you know, I got to have that one he got some spunk. He's got some fun. When everybody else was looking at Saul and saying, stay away from that guy. He's bad news. If we can get rid of him, let's get rid of him. But God saw him and said, hey, I'd, I'd like, I can use that. If we flip that and get Paul on this, we could do some damage, right? And so that's exactly what Jesus did in Acts 9. Many of you know the story. Saul on the road to Damascus, en route with papers to deal with Christians, to throw him into prison to disrupt the spread of the gospel. Jesus encounters him. The resurrected Jesus encounters him, knocks him off of his horse. He's blinded. He has this encounter, gets up blind, and has to be helped to a place where God says, listen, Paul, you sit and him out for a minute. I'll come get you when I'm ready for you. And in the meantime, the Lord sends word to a man named Ananias and says, Ananias, go over and pray for Saul so that he can receive his sight. And so that he can begin moving in the right direction now, right? Now, Ananias understands who Saul is, and he's got a problem with this. He says, Lord, maybe they didn't didn't tell you, but Saul is bad news. Maybe they didn't tell you, but Saul's a bad guy. He's not on our team. And this is what verse 15 says, Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, And to their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So in these few verses, we get just like a real concise picture of Paul's purpose. The Lord tells Ananias that he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. And culturally speaking, that's a really that's a really wide like audience. To the Gentiles who have their own cultural customs and norms and leanings to the people of Israel who have their own particular cultures and customs and ways of relating to God, and everybody else in between, like Paul is being tasked to be God's instrument to this really wide cross-section of people. This is a really tall order in case you haven't already figured out how difficult it is to minister cross-culturally. It's hard to have a meal (laughs) cross-culturally, much less take the good news of the gospel often in hostile environments, cross-culturally, with this wide cross-section of people. This is Paul's purpose, and it frames for us the significance of verse 19. Paul says, even though I am free, uh, a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people, think wide cultural context, for the purpose of what? To bring many to Christ. All of a sudden, it starts to make sense, right? Even though I am a free man, loads of uh, education, loads of power, a lot of people know me, a lot of people like me, people know Saul when they hear it, but I have become a slave to all people for the purpose of bringing many, bringing many to Christ. Say, preacher, that's great, but what on earth does that have to do with fitness? What does that have to do with readiness? I'm glad you ask, because we pick up in verse 20. This is the way that Paul prepares himself. This is the way that Paul trains. This is the way that Paul gets ready and has gotten himself ready for what God has purposed him to do. Paul says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Verse 21, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. He continues in verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with every, everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in it its blessings. Now, Paul couldn't get through one or two sentences without tying what he was doing to purpose. Everything he was telling us he was doing and engaging in and practicing and getting really good at, he tied it to what? So that I might win some. So that I might be an instrument that brings Christ to those who are far. And this, again, wide cultural context. When I'm a Jew, when I'm with the Gentiles, when I'm with the weak, he's not only talking about culture and ethnicity, he's talking about social class. He's talking about the well and the unwell, the powerful and the weak. And so what you may not understand is what Paul has developed because of his purpose is what we call cultural competence. Really important to me and my life's work, not as only a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, uh, but as one who is helping our broader movement move uh, to a greater appreciation uh, for the multi-ethnic beauty that there is in this world. Like Paul says that uh, he's worked out pressing into a higher measure of cultural competence, not because it's some corporate ideal, because it's what's necessary for him to be an effective minister of the gospel. And take it from me, leaning into growing in cultural competence is not an easy thing to do, not easy to move in and out of different cultural contexts, in and out of Different social, You get good at it. It becomes easier over time. But the process of learning that is challenging. There's great sacrifice. There's loads that you have to give up. There's loads of power that you have to surrender. There's loads of uh, preference and convenience that you have to lay down in order to press into the level of cultural competence that Paul enjoyed and therefore used that to... Uh, be a light to the world and to bring the gospel to various corners of the world. Paul says, "When I was with the Jews, I learned to be Jewish." He says, "I wanted some bacon so bad, but I was I was among the Jews." And so I had to eat those kosher meals, and I had to, you know, obey the customs. and, and, And he wasn't trying to be some chameleon. He wasn't trying to be some fake, some phony, right? But he had to will himself to be in that particular context. Why? Because he loved it? No, before the sake of the gospel, for his purpose. Paul says, when I was with the Gentiles, I set aside the law. Gasp. Some of us clutch our pearls and, and, and they think that's totally inappropriate. Now Paul says something amazing in the second section here. He says, and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily casting aside the law of God, I was leaning into the law of Christ. And Christ's ideal is that the gospel be preached to every corner of the world, of every people and every nation. So Paul says, don't think I was being hedonistic. Don't think I was just trying to punch out, you know, and take a few days off when I was with the Gentiles. Paul says, I was still on mission. And that mission is to do whatever it took outside of dishonoring God so that many can be one, so that people can hear the gospel says, I was different with the Jews than I was with the Gentiles. I had to learn those customs. He might have looked stupid. At first. He might have made some mistakes. He might have said the wrong thing, but he said, I pressed into this. Why? For purpose sake. I pursued this fitness because I knew what God had called me to. Verse 22, he says, I, uh, when I'm with those who are weak, think the powerless. Think the sick. Think the voiceless. Paul, powerful, educated, lots of confidence and swagger, had to figure out how to be among the weak without trampling them. Figure out how to be comfortable on the weak, among the weak uh, without doing harm to them. And what Paul doesn't say here, but what he implies is that he has also had to learn how to be among the powerful and how to stomp with the big dogs because guess what? He's been called to a wide cross-section of people. Let me tell you, this resonated with me particularly because I feel that in many ways, this is my calling too, right? The Lord has called me and many of you to be bridge people. there be people who have a high cultural competence. I call, some call it cultural intelligence. Some call it cultural wisdom. I think that's kind of a higher plane. cultural wisdom, cultural skill. And then just consider all the sacrifice and all the things that I and others have had to lay down so that we might learn the skill of relating well to other people. And not just other people, but wide, you know, cross-sections of people, it's not been easy, right? But the Lord showed me a long time ago that he made me to be a bridge person. And the road to being a bridge person, the road to be a person who can connect with a wide cross-section of people has not been easy. And I resonate with Paul's journey. I resonate with the workouts, the social workouts, the emotional workouts that Paul had to undergo in order to attain this measure of fitness, which would therefore make him uh, 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 very, very competent and very effective, very successful at being a minister of the gospel in all walks of life. My point, friends, is that Paul had to work out in order to achieve this. And what informed his workouts, what informed his meal plan, if you will, or his workouts was what? The end, the goal, purpose. All to say that for those of us who think we can just stumble through life without uh, the guiding north star of purpose, uh, how's that working out for you? You've changed careers 12 times. You've gone back to school over and over. Oh, I just don't know what I want to do with my life. I have found, by the way, that God is just not playing keep away with purpose. They just, uh, jump, just get it up. Look behind that rock. I uh, moved it over behind that table. Like I have found that when we earnestly seek and earnestly ask and earnestly write a blank check with our life, the Lord is eager to let us know what we're supposed to be doing with our life. For some of you, not, that's not been the case for me. Maybe, but it might be the case that what the Lord says to you, you don't like. You want a six-figure career. And maybe the Lord's called you to be in short social work and maybe stand in the food pantry line because what he's called you to doesn't quite match your tastes. So I've been doing this long enough to know that God hasn't told me what I'm here for. Oftentimes it's code for, try again, Lord. Give me what else you got. (laughs) But the sooner we press into a place of obedience, the sooner we embrace purpose, the sooner we can begin to walk out the fitness plan that God has for us the sooner we can walk out and begin to develop and to begin strengthened and gain dexterity in those areas in those places and in those realms that relate to our purpose can tell you how many times i've met people who are making loads and loads of money who have careers and homes and houses and things that people would die for they would kill for but they're unhappy and unfulfilled why Sometimes, many times, oftentimes, they're doing something with their life other than what God has purposed for them to do. And there's no measure of happiness, wholeness, fitness, functionality that will come to you if you're out of position. If you're willfully choosing to do with your life what God has not called you to do, there is no measure of money that can make you happy. There is no measure of success or accolades that will make you feel whole And so the Lord might say to us that we can do this the easier way, and there's no easy way really, or the hard way, purpose. And so what Paul is describing for us as he talks about his cultural competence and how he moves in and out of these different areas and people groups is that he's saying that he is purposely fit, functionally fit. And one of the distinguishing marks of being purposefully fit is an unyielding resolve, an unyielding determination, a steadfastness that we rarely see in people. And I'm not talking about being rigid and immovable, and just, but I'm talking about a, a resolve, a determination to stay on mission, to stay on purpose. A second distinguishing mark that we see is an impressive versatility, an impressive agility, an impressive nimbleness so that whatever God calls you, wherever he moves you to, wherever he sends you, you're, you're adaptable and you can roll with it. Let me, let me say this again. If we look at Paul, not just this passage, but his life, there was a, 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 an unyielding resolve. He had his feet planted in purpose, but at the same time, Paul's mission took him everywhere. He was on boats. He's ministering to all places. beaten in prison everywhere. And Paul, he just rolled with it. He found himself in prison. He just worshiped. Hey, we can worship right here. Silas, let's turn this thing out. Let's worship. This, this is who we are. This is where we are. He found himself in chains. He's still writing letters to the church, right? Totally adaptable, nimble, right? And what anchors him? Purpose. To win many to Christ. He learned how to do this effectively by pressing against comfort, pressing against convenience, pressing against preference. He starts with purpose in mind. And what's his secret? What's his secret? The answer to that question is our third and final thing that I want to pull out of this text this morning. The third and final thing is that Paul runs the race to win. He runs the race to win. We talked about obedience. We talked about starting with the end in mind, purpose, right? Well, Paul concludes this short passage by talking about the fact that he runs this race to win. He says in verse 24, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. So what Paul's trying to create uh, for us is this picture of don't think of this as a race where everybody gets a participation trophy, right? Because if you're in that type of race, you can just run as fast as you want. You can have lots of urgency or no urgency, or you can fall somewhere in the muddy, pudgy middle. But if there's a prize to be won, there's a sense of urgency toward running this race, and winning the prize. And so Paul's not trying to create competition among us. He's trying to create a sense of urgency toward pressing toward a place of readiness, a place of fitness. He says, run to win. Don't sashay through the course. Give it all you got, he says. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined. That's a good word. In their training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it For an eternal prize. And so Paul is comparing himself and his worthy, noble kingdom pursuits to that of those who are just sort of athletes, competing for the games or the Olympics or to run a race. He says they are competing for maybe there's a purse, maybe there's some sort of trophy or medal that will rust and fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Again, he's assigning more weight to this, you know, these fitness goals. He's assigning more urgency and importance to this. He says, run the race to win. Oh, and by the way, there is eternal significance to these pursuits. They're eternal values. These are deeply meaningful for the long haul. Paul's saying, take this seriously. And he gives us a window into his own life in verse 26 when he says, so I run with purpose." In every step, I'm not just shadowboxing. Verse 27 is the money verse here for us. Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete, athlete, training it to do what it should. I discipline my body, and I think that's a little sterile. Another version says, I beat my body. Some of us, that creates this violent picture of a crazy person beating their body. But what Paul is describing is exactly what we do when we go to the gym. There are no recliners on the fitness floor. There are no hammocks. There are no massage chairs. You go in there to get beat up. There's no latte. You shouldn't have a latte in one hand when you're working out. Like, this, is, this, is, this should be grueling, right? You're lifting weights. What's happening? Muscles are tearing Stuff is aching when you're done. Paul says, I beat my body. In other words, I tell my body what to do. It doesn't tell me. And so we can't talk about the need for fitness without talking about verse 27, where Paul says, I discipline my body because the sinful nature, the natural sort of leaning, the way we just float down the lazy river of life, if we don't impact it with the gospel, with the principles and standards of God, is that our body tells us what to do. Body says, I know you just ate a five-course meal, but go get you some chips. You want some chips? Get the takis, the real hot ones. You like those, uh, right? <laughs> body says, ah, you don't feel like working out today, do you? Let's lay here today. Listen, I, you listen to your body. Body tells you, hey, it's been a while since you since you felt good. Go ahead and get you a drink. Go get you another drink. Hey, you it to yourself. We've, I feel good. This is your body talking. When you have, just go ahead. Go ahead and smoke that. Go ahead and snort that. Listen, this feels good. Your body tells you what to do. Oh, listen, listen. Go sleep with that person. I know that you're not married to them. I know that you, have, you see no future with them. But hey, listen, I, I'm your body. Listen to your body. some of you are where you are today because you've been listening to your body. Your your body's been telling you what to do, and you haven't been telling it what to do. And what your body naturally tells you to do is not informed by purpose. It is not informed by God's high calling that Paul says we press toward. It is not. What your body tells you to do, the only thing that matters to your body, it's what's going to be satisfying right now. The body doesn't fast forward the tape and say, what does sleep? What fruit is sleeping with this person going to yield? What fruit is like eating chips all day and sitting on the couch and sweat? What, what fruit is that going to yield? Your body doesn't roll that out. Your body says, it should be nice if we did this right now. But purpose, purpose plays the long game, doesn't it? Purpose says, how are these words that are going to roll off this tongue going to affect my tomorrow? How is rolling in late every day going to affect my career? How does living a sedentary life, how is that going to put a low ceiling on my capacity to do what God has called me to do? How does giving my body to anybody who would have me, how is that going to affect my tomorrow? That's what purpose asks. And there's no wonder, Paul says, I beat my body because this rascal needs to be tamed. This sinful nature, you've gotten years and years of of practice. This is a well-worn path of hedonism and and self-serving decisions that needs to be like wrestled down through the power of the spirit and through the power of your yes, your blank check with your life. This is like something, this doesn't happen overnight. This what sanctification is. It's the ongoing work of the Spirit that rewires your taste and rewires your interest. It helps you discipline your body so that you might be fit for purpose, fit for what God has called you to. Paul says, "I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should." And this is applicable in so many areas of life. And I'm so glad that Paul gave us that snapshot of his life as he gained all that cultural competence to go to the Jew, to go to the Gentile, to go to the weak, to go to the powerful, to give us some different examples of what it means to pursue fitness. Because sometimes we can rattle on about health and fitness, and we'll talk about that, and rattle on about relational fitness and things like that. But I love that Paul gave us a snapshot of just some of the more nuanced ways... That we're supposed to say no to some things, say yes to other more noble things, and press into a realm of comfort with doing and being who God has purposed us to be. Paul says, I discipline my body to sit in places where I want to leave. To defend myself when the Lord says, be quiet and just take it and walk in humility. I beat my body in all these different realms so that I might be... Fit for purpose. And for some of you, this, this calls out to you in a way that is necessary because you've been fixing to do a whole lot of stuff for a long time. You've been fixing to get down to the gym. You've been fixing to do something about your credit and get your money right. You've been fixing to mend that relationship. You've been fixing to do that and fix it. And I talk to myself. I'm not on a high horse. I'm I'm down here today with you. And the Lord would say to us, church, he would say to us as individuals that we are operating at just a small fraction of the capacity that he has planned for us because we're out of shape. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and on and on and on. And the Lord just said, what? At what point are we going to stop fixing and do these things and just do them? At what point do we gain some mastery over these bodies and these wills as Christ is formed within us, not just so that we can be impressive to one another, but for purpose sake. There's something for us to do. There's something for you to do. There's something for you to do. Paul says... I walk with purpose in every step. I discipline my body, not so I just look good at the beach, right? But so that I have some fruitful longevity so that I can be and do what God has called me to be. Paul is talking about life fitness. He's talking about being whole. He's talking about being what? Ready. If we're honest today, many of us are unfit. For what God has set before us. Now, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I'm glad you're here this morning, because we sit at the doorway of an amazing season in the life of this church, and that means for us corporately and for those of us as individuals. And uh, many of you know that we're engaging a 21-day fast that is, you know, rolled out with this very subject in mind. And some of you are new to fasting. Others of you have done fasting here and there. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we do this a couple points throughout the year. But fasting is just basically taking a survey of your life, an inventory of your life, and saying, what things are there in my life that compete with God for my attention and my affection? What are the things? Many of them good things that have just grown is to sort of move beyond the boundaries of what's appropriate and what's helpful and what's you know healthy and maybe you might say you know television is just when I survey look at my schedule I'm, I'm watching loads of television or I'm on social media all day long or I'm, I'm consuming large quantities of this thing and it's just sort of those things have become an idol to me and so for the purposes of, of, of hearing God and pressing into a place of fitness and health and wholeness, readiness, as we said, I'm just going to peel back a lot of these things so that I can just do a reset. As we describe it often, fasting takes uh, this room full of radios that are all in different frequencies. It's creating all of this noise in our life. And we turn off all the radios so that we can hear God's voice. That's a great way to describe what fasting does. And so what you're charged to do is to consider what you might give up over the next 21 days starting tomorrow. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's it's certain foods. Maybe it's certain snacks. Maybe it's certain apps. Maybe it's your smartphone smartphone altogether outside of calling and texting. Maybe texting is not, you know, maybe that's your vice. Maybe that's your thing. And for each person, it's up to you to to get with the Lord and to decide what it means for you to press into a place of fitness and readiness. And so we not only remove things from our life, but we we, we, we we take some of the negative things out or the unhelpful things, and we press into noble, healthy, helpful things like prayer and devotion. We press into things like small group. There'll be an opportunity for you to engage small groups and sign up for a small group. Uh, Things like prayer meetings and serving the poor at restoration, various nights of worship, things like that. So we turn our backs to certain things and we turn our face and our feet toward other things. That's what this fast is all about. Now, I understand that nobody's required. The worship team, you can come up as I close. Nobody's required to do anything. If you choose not to fast, you're not second class. We're not going to seat you in the back row or, you know, shame you or anything like that. This is totally up to you. I told you that this fitness requires willful obedience. So, like, you got to be on board with this. This is totally your choice. But we've seen God do amazing things through these fasts. We've seen heavens open. Healings happen. You know, people get back on the right track with the Lord as they engage these fasts. And so, what do you need to do, Church in order to press into a place of fitness. How might you need God to speak to you so that you might understand, therefore walk in your purpose and, and train you know, your life and have your purpose inform that pursuit of fitness. My prayer as we walk this out as a family, particularly as we close on this building on Friday and we enter the next chapter of this church, I just I want to be ready. I want to be whole. Nothing broken, nothing missing. I want each and every person that calls this place home to walk in that with us. I hope you come along with us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the way your word arrests us, calls us higher, just like you encountered Saul on the Damascus Road, you encountered many of us today, Father. You tell us who we are. You tell us what we're made for our charge is to listen and to obey and to say yes. Come Holy Spirit. As we pursue fitness in these areas, Father, will you go with us? Would you go before us? For those who might be feeling guilty or condemnation or shame, feeling beat up this morning, Father, we just remind them that none of that comes from you. We pray for holy conviction The fruit of that conviction is a changed, transformed life. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do for your yielded vessels. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.